0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. 2 Timothy 4, the last chapter of the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. And whether you're joining us online today or in person, I just want to ask you something. Out of all the people in the world that Paul could have written this letter to, who did he choose? He chose his best buddy, Timothy. So as he sits down to write what he probably knows is his last letter, he writes that letter to Timothy from a prison cell in Rome. And what does he write about? Well, basically, the idea of this letter that we call 2 Timothy is just this. Hey, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And it got me thinking about you, whether you're online or in person today. If you knew that your days were numbered like Paul's were, If you knew that you had one more letter to write, who would you write that letter to? And what would you say? Who would you write that email to? And what would you say? Who would you send that text to? And what would you say? Who would you make that phone call to? And what would you say if your days were numbered? See, because here's the thing. In Psalm chapter 90, Moses said, God, teach us to number our days that we might live with a heart of wisdom. So guess what? Your days are numbered. So who do you need to speak to? And what do you need to say? Now, I just want to clarify one thing. It doesn't mean that tomorrow, when you're about to send that text, that hilarious meme to all your buddies, you don't go, I don't know if I should send that. This is going to be the last text that I ever sent. I'm not saying that. You know, your days are numbered, but your number is probably a lot higher than what Paul's number was back then. Have a little fun. However, who do you need to thank today? Who do you need to inspire today? Who do you need to encourage today? Who do you need to instruct today? Or maybe help with this, who do you need to apologize to today? Or, like Paul, who do you need to uh, reach out to today and say, hey, keep fighting the good fight, keep fighting the good fight. So Paul starts out, the last chapter, Of the last letter that he will ever write he says this in the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and because he is coming to rule as king timothy i solemnly urge you stop for a second where's paul he's in prison in rome he's in prison in rome that's true physically that's true locationally but spiritually where's paul paul says here i'm in the presence of god Isn't that amazing? He's in a prison cell in Rome writing what he probably knows is the last letter that he will ever write. But he also says, I might be in prison uh, physically, but spiritually I'm in God's presence. And I say that to you because I wonder, where are you at today? What are you walking through today? What are your struggles today? Because I, I want you to know that no matter who you are or what you're going through today or where you find yourself today, I really want you to know God is with you. He's never given up on you, and he never will. You might have given up on God. He's never going to give up on you. You might have feel like you've left God. God will never, ever leave you. He's with you right now. I've been thinking a lot lately about Psalm chapter 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So I was thinking about that psalm, and I started searching out these pictures, and I felt like there was two that I was supposed to show you today. And then I thought, ah, maybe it's a little bit cheesy. So I ran the pictures by a couple people and they said, no, 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 you need to show them. So I'm going to show you the first one right now. So what is that? You probably guessed that's a green pasture. That's right. Where is it? Where is that green pasture? And maybe you're looking at me right now going, I don't know, Mike. Okay, how about this? Topographically. Topographically, where is it? Well, it's in a valley, isn't it? It's a green pasture in a valley, and I I wanted you to look at it just for a second. If I could get the team just to leave it up for just a few moments. I want you to think about that. Because in that passage in Psalm 23, a green pasture represents peace. And what I want you to know is that God can bring you peace on the mountaintop. It's true. God can bring you peace on the high highs when there's no worries and you're feeling healthy and everything's going great. But also, he brings you peace even more so in the valley, in the low lows. There's green pastures in the valley. God brings peace not just in the high highs, but in the low lows also. And here's the next picture. So what's that picture? Well, maybe you guessed that's still waters. Well, where is it? You said valley. No, it's Lake Louise. Didn't you know that? It's Lake Louise, Alberta. No, I'm kidding. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's a valley. It's a valley, but it's the same notion. In Psalm 23, you know what still waters refers to? It refers to a sense of comfort. Comfort. And I want you to know that God wants to bring you comfort today. And the point is, yes, he can bring you comfort on the mountaintop. When, to be completely honest, you don't really need it. But he also wants to bring you comfort in the valley. When things aren't so certain, when things aren't so easy, when things aren't so comfortable, he wants to bring you comfort. He wants to bring you peace. Not just on the mountaintop, but in the valley also. God is with you. And Paul says Jesus is with you too, and he's for you. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history because he loves you. He came to rescue you. He lived, died, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so that you will never have to live life alone. He's for you. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And the Bible says that we're going to be judged by one of two things when we're judged. We're going to be judged, number one, by what we've done, or number two, by what he's done. We're going to be judged by what we've done or what he's done. See, when Jesus died on that cross, he offers to perform for you and me what's called the beautiful exchange. That when we reach out in faith and say, Jesus, I need you. I need some help. I can't make it on my own. Even with faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus performs the beautiful exchange. He takes all our wrong and he gives us all his rights. And we're judged by him. Some Theologians say it this way. They say that God takes your sins and he places them in a sea of forgetfulness. Isn't that beautiful? A sea of forgetfulness. That God is so big and so powerful that he can bring your sins and put your sins beyond, literally beyond reckoning. That you're judged by Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection and by his love and by his mercy and by his righteousness. You're as right as right can be right now. He's with you. And he's for you. So Paul continues, Timothy, I urge you, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. How do you fight the good fight of faith? How do you fight the good fight of faith? You do it by preaching the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. The word of God. I love how Isaiah 55 says it. This is God speaking to his people. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God is life. The word of God is growth. The word of God is hope. And so when we meet together online or in person, Man, there's a lot of things that we do. We sing songs. You know the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord. I love that. I love that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. We sing, right? You notice how it doesn't say make a harmonic noise to the Lord. That's a good thing because some of you can't sing. I'm with you. I'm glad that it's, it says joyful, not on pitch. You know, make a perfect pitch noise. Okay, you get what I'm saying. Make a joyful noise to the Lord so we sing. We do announcements because we need to be organized. We, we meet with friends. We make new friends. All of that's so important. And, and, and. When we join together in person or online, we preach the word. We preach the word because the word of God is life and growth and hope. And the word of God is made manifest to you and me in two major ways. Number one, through the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. Sixty-six Books split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Forty human authors, each one of them inspired by the Holy Spirit to write exactly what God wanted them to write. And the Bible is like a story of God, our Heavenly Father, who would pay any price and bear any burden and go to any length to rescue his wayward, wandering kids and bring them home. That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. Preach the Bible. And the second way that the Word of God is made manifest to you and me is through Jesus. The Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 1, puts it this way, that God took on flesh and bone and moved into our neighborhood. In other words, if you want to understand the character of God, the nature of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, you need to look no further than to Jesus. That Jesus is a human illustration a personification, if you will, of God's character. That if you want to understand God and his love and his mercy and his grace and his victory and his strength and his power and his patience, study Jesus. So Paul says, hey, Timothy, if you want to fight the good fight of faith, preach. Preach the Bible and preach Jesus. Preach it with the life that you live and the words that you speak. Preach it, Timothy. He says, correct Rebuke and encourage. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Let me tell you something that you already know. No one wants to be corrected by someone who hasn't first corrected themselves. No one wants to be rebuked by someone who has not first rebuked themselves. No one wants to be encouraged by someone who hasn't encouraged themselves. You know what I mean? It's like you don't really want marriage advice from your single friends. Isn't it amazing how some of them just think they know stuff about marriage when they've never been married? It's so funny. You don't really want parenting advice from, uh, from friends of yours who don't have any kids. You know, if my kid did that in the store, I would, no, just shut up. You, we have no, We don't care what you think that you would do. Just call me when your child is three, and then we'll talk. You know what I mean? Well, it's the same thing about this. Paul says, Hey, Timothy, you want to preach the word? Okay, look it. Preach the Bible and preach Jesus because it's life and it's hope and it's growth. Yes, yes, yes. But preach it first with your life. That's a big deal, right? So, in other words, first go to the Bible and go to the example of Jesus and say, How can I be corrected? I had a moment like that the other day. I was in the gym. And normally when I work out at the gym, I leave my phone on a shelf. Because you know what? I'm so intense when I work out. I'm just pushing the 20-pound dumbbells and just getting after it, you know. And I can't have my phone near me. I, I've got my tunes on. And uh, anyways, but on this particular day I'm working out and I bring my phone with me. You want to know why? Because I'm complaining. I'm sending complaining, self-pitying texts to my wife, Corinne. And so I'm doing a set and then I'm sending a text about all the things that make my life hard. All the things that make me feel sorry for myself. All the things that I think I could complain about. All the people who have been mean to me, maybe. And so I'm working out and I'm exercising, but I'm not really, right? Because, like, let's say I'm doing a weight that I could do 15 of. I only do about seven because I'm so eager to get back to my phone to keep complaining. So I just take a rest and complaining and complaining. So I sent about four or five of these texts, and Corinne sent me a text back. It said this. It said... Why do you crawl through the dumpster and get surprised that it smells? Huh? Why do you crawl through the dumpster and get surprised that it smells? Oh, and I knew what she meant right away, too. I knew what she meant. See, a couple months ago, I preached this sermon on prayer out of Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, Um, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And it hit me. Why do you crawl through the dumpster and get surprised that it smells? Do you understand what I mean? So here's what I was doing. I was asking to get angry. And guess what? I received anger. I was seeking self-pity. And guess what? I found it. I was knocking at the door of disappointment, and you're never going to guess. It got open for me every time. Why am I crawling through the dumpster and getting surprised that it smells? I'm getting what I asked for. I'm getting what I'm seeking. I'm getting what the door that I'm knocking on is being opened to me. So I took my phone, and I brought it back to the shelf. It's really interesting, isn't it? I just thinking the other day how I had somebody walk up to me about a week ago, and they said, and hey Mike, can I talk to you about something? Um, your sermon last week, your sermon last week was incredible. It really helped me. It helped my wife. It helped our family. I just want to say thanks. What, what do you think? Th- what do you think? If you know me fairly well, you already know where this is going. What do you think? The first thing I thought was in that moment. The very first thing I thought was the very first thing I thought. Um, that's awesome wow, you know, it's just so great to help that guy and his wife and his family. I'm just so honored that God would work through me that way. And I just want to pray a blessing upon them that, that, that the truth that God gave them would be sealed into their lives and would bear a mighty harvest. That wasn't my first thought. You know what my first thought was? Oh, he said last week's sermon. So he didn't like this week's. You get what I'm saying? You kind of find what you're looking for in life. Just be careful what you look for. Like, I'm just wondering about you on social media. Have you ever asked yourself, what does social media do for me? Does it make you angry? Does it make you afraid? Does it make you jealous? Does it make you annoyed? If so, I would ask you, why are you there then? <laughs> so, so here's what I mean. Before you go... Correcting somebody else, you make sure that you go to God, you go to people of God, and say, Hey, how can I be corrected? How can I be rebuked? And how can I be encouraged? See, correction is really interesting because when you correct somebody, it's basically this it's like they've wandered off track just a little bit. And you just kind of say, Hey, I don't know if you realize it, but you wandered off track a little bit. It's like we talked about last week. We said, No one wakes up in the morning and says, You know what I want to do? I just want to become a terrible person. <laughs> Call me crazy. Everyone's got to have a dream. That's kind of my dream. I just want to be a terrible person. No one says that. No one that I know. But it just happens little by little. And so in love, with courage, with courage and kindness, with courage and kindness, you just say to somebody, hey, I love you. Hey, can I tell you about how I was, how I was crawling through the dumpster the other day and then I was surprised that it smelled? I know, it's crazy. And, and I was wandering off track. And maybe you are here too. And I just want to let you know because I love you. Rebuking is a little bit different. Rebuking is when somebody, they haven't wandered off track, they're like sprinting off track. Like God says, go right, and they're going left, and they want to. And you don't yell at them, you don't call them names, you don't make fun of them, but you might want to. With courage and kindness, with courage and kindness, you might want to go to them and say, hey, I've been there. I've been there, I've been pursuing all the wrong things, but I can tell you what, this way seems right to you, but I think in the end it's going to lead to destruction, and I love you enough to tell you. And Paul says, hey, also encourage. There's something really powerful about the ability to encourage from experience. To be able to go to somebody and say, hey, I've been on the mountaintop, and so have you, but I've also been in the valley. And in the valley, I found that God provided peace and comfort that I didn't see coming, and I know that he can do the same for you. Right? There's something a little bit glib and there's something a little bit meaningless about somebody coming up to you who's never walked the path that you've walked, who's never experienced any of the stuff that you've experienced, telling you it's all good all the time. But man, when there's somebody who has actually gone through the valley and found comfort and found peace, that's beautiful. And Paul would say to you today, hey, preach, the, preach the word with your life, but also with the words that you speak to people who are walking through some of the things you've walked through. Be quick to tell them you can be encouraged. You can find the same comfort and the same peace that I found. And Paul says, hey, preach in season and out of season. In season and out of season. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. We all get that. Okay, so just before we go any further, I just want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. When we talk about preaching with the life that we live and the words that we speak, sometimes we speak those words from a stage with a microphone. But more often than not, for me and for you, when we preach the word, we preach it over a cup of coffee. We preach it in the car on the way to school. Uh, we, 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 we preach it over the breakfast table. We preach it across the fence as we speak to our neighbor. Do you understand? So this is all of us. We're all preaching the word with the life that we live and the words that we speak. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. Just be courageous and kind. Be courageous and kind. Be courageous and kind. Fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes people are going to want to hear it. And sometimes they're not. And you've got to really use wisdom there, right? So what you don't do is your, your daughter just lost a provincial championship game in soccer. And you walk up and say, you know what? Soccer doesn't really mean that much anyways. Like God loves you and that should be enough. That would be weird and stupid. Okay? Or your son fails a test in school and you say, you know what? The Bible says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And you didn't. And now you're reaping what you sow, mister. I hope you like it. Probably not. Probably not. But I would also say this. Be courageous and be kind. And when God taps you on the shoulder and says, speak up, speak up. Speak up. And then he says, when you preach the word, preach it with patience and careful instructions. First of all, patience is just this. Understanding God has a plan. and It might not come to fruition this very moment. But just keep living your life. Keep speaking your words with courage and kindness. And watch what God can do through you, through your life. And he says, careful instruction. I'm going to answer that, but I want to jump to the next section to answer it. He says this The time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine, but will follow their own desires and will collect for themselves more and more teachers who will tell them what they are itching to hear. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and give their attention to legends. Okay, so you want to fight the good fight of faith? Okay, it's great. You want to preach the word? Awesome. I get a friend who says there's two kinds of people in the world truth seekers and self seekers. Truth seekers and self seekers. Truth seekers are looking to learn, self seekers are looking to prove a point. Truth seekers are looking to learn, and self seekers are looking to prove a point. So when Paul says, hey, when you preach, Use careful instruction. That's one of the things he's talking about. So when you go to the Bible, you go to the Bible looking to learn, not looking to prove a point. Do you understand? I'll give you a quick example. There's some people out there, there's some teachers out there who would say this, that if you have faith, if you follow Jesus, you're never going to struggle. You're always going to be fine. You're going to just buzz along the mountaintop. You're never going to be in a valley. It's just amazing. It's such a weird concept, by the way, because they often do it to manipulate people to get people to give them money, or to follow them. It, it's a weird concept, though, because Jesus himself said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But yet they say, these teachers say, no, 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 you're fine. No struggles. You just got to have more faith. So they say, after all, Jeremiah 29, 11 says it really well, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And they use that text to prove that you're never going to go through valleys in your life. And if you do, there's something wrong with you and wrong with your faith. Well, Do you understand the context of Jeremiah 29.11? Jeremiah 29.11 was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It was inspired by God. But it was written to God's people who had been defeated and conquered and sent in exile to Babylon. So they had gone through difficult seasons. In fact, Jeremiah was telling them, there's a lot of difficult season, seasons ahead. But one day, one day, you're going to be back up on the mountaintop. You just need to be careful, Paul says, when you preach the word, you preach as a truth seeker. You preach as a truth seeker, always first looking to learn, not prove your point. Because the thing that's crazy in our world is that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of proclivity in our world today where people have an opinion and they seek out people that say the same thing they already believe back to them. Do you understand what I mean? So, so, so I believe something and then I search out podcasts where somebody speaks my own words back to me, just in a different voice. Or I search a YouTube video where I listen to somebody say exactly what I already think back to me. Or I read articles that say exactly what I already believe back to me. And the problem with that is that it just reinforces whatever areas of ignorance that we have. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that at all. Oh, but don't do that with the Bible. Careful, careful, careful instruction. Careful instruction. He goes on and he says this. But you must keep control of yourself in all circumstances. Endure suffering. Do the work of a preacher of the good news and perform your whole duty as a servant of God. So, Paul says to Timothy when you preach the word, when you preach it from a stage with a microphone, when you preach it over a cup of coffee, when you preach it across a fence or in a car on the way to school, there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain. I can't think of a single sermon that I've ever preached that hasn't brought with it pain. Pain in the preparation. Pain in the prayer that goes along with it. Pain in the delivery. And pain in the post-game comments that I have uh, to myself. And you're thinking that I'm talking about sermons that I give at church. No, no, no. I mean the sermons that God asked me to preach just in life. Like, it's just amazing how painful things are. Have you ever noticed that? Like, Before Easter, I walk up to some people in the gym and I'm like, hey, uh, you want to come to the Easter service? We're having one at Southside Church. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Saturday night, Sunday morning, it's going to be great. I hope you can make it. Yeah. Okay. But what's so weird about that is as I walk up to them, all of a sudden, if I was walking up to them to say, man, the Oilers had a good game last night, I wouldn't have felt nervous. But I'm walking up to them to invite them to come to Easter service to learn about Jesus so that we can preach the gospel, preach the word in the way that we live, in the way that we welcome, and in the words that we speak. And all of a sudden, something inside of me gets, does this ever happen to you or is it just me? That something inside of me is just like, oh, this is hard. It's kind of like painful. And I say to the men, it's going to be an awesome service. And they're like, cool, great. And I walk away and I'm like, why did I say it that way? Why did I say awesome service? I should have said life-changing. I should have said the anointing of God is going to fall down from heaven and like bless you and enrich your life and your eternity. Okay, I probably shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean? I walk away and even the postscript is painful. And I think there's two reasons why preaching the word with the lives that we live and the words that we speak are painful. Number one, it's just what well, Paul said it. We're fighting the good fight of faith here. This is a battle There's a battle raging for the hearts and minds and the souls of the people in your life. That Jesus does truly love them. Jesus is for them. Jesus wants to save them. But we have a spiritual enemy named the devil. And God sends you to preach life, but our spiritual enemy longs for death. God sends you to preach hope, but our spiritual enemy longs for despair. God sends you to preach light, but the spiritual enemy that we have longs for darkness. So there's a battle. And I would say if you're facing resistance in your life, if you're walking into a conversation where God is asking you to preach the word, preach Jesus or preach the Bible to somebody who needs it, and you're feeling resistance, I don't think that's a moment to lean back. I think that's a moment to lean in because the stakes are high. And I think the second reason why preaching the word from a stage or across a cup of coffee, whatever it is, can be painful, is the gospel is offensive. The gospel is by nature offensive, right? The gospel says this, it's offensive. The gospel says this. You're not alright. You can't make it on your own. You are a sinner in need of a savior. That is an offensive message. You know who hates that message? Religious people. Self-righteous people, arrogant people hate that. And the thing about religious, arrogant, self-righteous people is they're not often going to look at you and go, hey, I'm religious, arrogant, and self-righteous. So that really bugs me. And you'll go, oh, well, they're just religious, arrogant, and self-righteous. No, they don't. There's just something about them, something about what's going on inside of them that it just frosts their flakes for anyone to tell them, you're not okay. And we kind of know that innately, right? We know that there's something offensive about the message of Jesus. And so there's part of me that wants to lean back. And I want to say, no, you got to lean in. you got to lean in. you got to lean into the offensive nature of the gospel. You know why? Because what makes it offensive is what makes it beautiful. What makes it offensive is what makes it unique. There's people in our world today, maybe they used to be religious or self-righteous or arrogant. Maybe they've been up on the mountaintop. But right now, they're in the valley. And they've come to this conclusion, I'm not all right. Like maybe everybody around me thinks I'm all right. I'm not doing okay. Like I need more. I need help. And then the message of the gospel. It's not offensive anymore. It's absolutely life. And it's growth and it's hope and it's everything. So Paul says there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. But don't lean back. Timothy, don't lean back. Lean in. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Hey, Timothy, I kept the faith. See, I kind of get the sense that up until this point of the letter, Paul kind of knew that he wasn't getting out of jail. That he was going to die a prisoner of Rome, under control of the psychopath Nero. But something about this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I feel like at that point, Paul knows now, for sure. Like he's been told the hour and the day of his execution. We don't know how many days it was ahead, how many weeks it was ahead, how many months it was ahead even, but Paul knows I'm not making it out of, making it out of here, Timothy. And so this letter that I'm writing, this is my last letter. And I just want you to try to imagine for a second the Apostle Paul In a cold, dark prison cell in Rome, 2,000 years ago, writing his last letter to his best buddy. And just saying, "I, I haven't been perfect, Timothy, but I'll tell you this I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I kept the faith, and that means something. I remember a few years ago when our youngest son Samuel was in grade nine. I unretired from coaching because his great nine boys basketball team needed a coach. And so I coached them, and we had an amazing season. Just an incredibly cool group of kids, and we did really, really well. And I remember the last game I ever coached them was in downtown Vancouver. And I had a lot of time to think as I drove back. And when I got home, I remember sending a text to Corinne, and the text just said, well, I did my best. And I got a little bit emotional because I thought of 30 years of coaching, so far from perfect. I can't stand here and say that I'm a perfect coach. There's too many people watching in person or online right now, and you played a sport for me. And you could tell a lot of people, man, he was not perfect, but I bet you you could also tell them, I really did my best, you know? I did. I tried. I tried to love every man and every woman that I coached. I tried to inspire them the best I could. I did my best, and it's just so powerful to me that Paul is sitting there in that jail cell and saying, hey, Timothy, this is it. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. But I fought the good fight. I finished my race all the way to the end. And I kept the faith. People say that it's easy easy to overestimate what you can accomplish in one day, but it's also easy to underestimate what you could accomplish in one year. How much more so easy to underestimate what you could accomplish in a lifetime. When we first moved to the city, it was just the three of us. Corinne, Tori, and me. And we moved into a little three-bedroom townhouse in a whole complex of townhouses. And then our family grew. So first there was just Tori, and then there was Lucas, and then there was Emma, and then there was Gabe. And so Tori and Lucas were sharing a room, and Emma had a room, and Gabe was kind of living in our closet. And so we had to move. And I remember we put our place up for sale. It sold. And just a couple weeks before, we were going to move out I had a friend who knew the people that lived about four doors down from us. He said, man, I was talking to them. They are really shook up that you guys are leaving. She said, man, I'm so upset that the Madnesses are leaving. They're such amazing people. I love them, and I'm really, really going to miss them. You know, I had no idea that she felt that way. What have we been doing? Just living our life just trying to preach the word with the life that we lived and the words that we spoke to the best of our ability. You know, we can really, really overestimate what we should be able to get done in a day, but I think we can often underestimate what God could do through us in a lifetime. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, I'm here, I'm in jail. This is it, man. But I'll tell you what, you could fight the good fight. You could finish your race, Timothy. You could keep the faith. And I'll end with this last section. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing the crown of righteousness it's really really cool Because I want you to imagine now, just for a second, so I said earlier, imagine being Paul. Now imagine being Timothy. And you're getting this letter from the Apostle Paul. He's your best buddy, and you're really sad. But at the same time, he's saying to you, hey, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, you know? You can do it. Keep the faith. Preach the word. In season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, great patience, careful instruction. You know what? In season, out of season, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. Be willing to suffer. Finish your race, finish your race, finish your race. And there's probably a little part of Timothy that's thinking just what you and I are thinking. Yeah, that's really great. But you're Paul, (laughs) you know. You're the Apostle Paul. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament. You're kind of famous, so it doesn't surprise me that God could do a lot through you, but I'm not sure how that applies to me, Paul. And Paul says here, he says, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness. Basically, the Greek word that he uses there is the word Stephanos. And basically it means a, a, a victory crown for the winner, a victory crown for the winner, a victory crown for the winner. And he uses the Greek word Stephanos, Stephanos. He says, I'm going to get a crown, a Stephanos for 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 the winner. And that must have hit Timothy like a ton of bricks. Because Timothy knows Paul's story. And Timothy knows that before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of Christians. See, Paul was a religious man, he was a Pharisee. The religious elite. And the spread of the gospel message, the the spread of the Christian church was a great threat to the Pharisees and a great threat to the Sanhedrin, which was a group of Pharisees who kind of ruled Israel. And so some say Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. If he wasn't a member, he was at least hired by the Sanhedrin and his job was to go out and persecute the church, stop the spread of the gospel, do whatever he could do, arrest people, threaten people. And there's a story, and Timothy would have known it, there's a story that, that Paul at one point orchestrated and oversaw the execution of an early church leader for no other reason than this church leader would not renounce their faith in Jesus. You say, okay, Mike, that's interesting. What's the point? Oh, the name of that early church leader that Paul executed? His name was Stephen. His Greek name was Stephanos the exact same word that Paul used earlier for the crown of righteousness that he is going to one day receive. Do you get it? See, I've heard people ask before, okay, well, wait a minute. If we all get crowns, like, are we going to be walking around in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth with crowns on? No, 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 we're not. You know why? Because the Bible says that when we get there, we're going to take the crown off. And the greatest delight in our life is that we're going to lay our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. And that's it. And Paul's saying, it's not about me, Timothy. It's he's to underestimate what I could do in a lifetime. But that's not even the point, Timothy. The point is what God has done through me. And the same faithful God who enabled me to fight the good fight. Who enabled me to finish my race. Who enabled me to keep the faith. Will do the same for you, Timothy. And 2,000 years ago, you know what? Paul did fight the good fight. Paul did finish his race. Paul did keep the faith. And so did Timothy, and 2,000 years later, here we are in Canada, still being inspired, still being encouraged, still being instructed by their lives, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, if you and me were to make a decision today, that in all our weakness and all our imperfection, if we were to make a decision, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to preach the Bible and preach Jesus. In the life that I live, in the words that I speak, I wonder, I really, really wonder what could happen what could happen today tomorrow and for generations and generations and generations to come i wonder what god could do through you i wonder what god could do through me i bet it's good so in the words of the apostle paul i would say to you and me today hey let's do it let's fight the good fight let's finish the race let's keep the faith let's pray so God, thank you. Thank you for your hope and thank you for your word. And thank you for this opportunity that you give us to fight the good fight. To take the hope that you've given us and to spread it. And Father, I just want to pray, if there's people here right now and, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and maybe lately you've been wondering why, you've, gone, you've gotten to a point in your life where you're saying, like, I'm not alright. Deep down inside of me, I'm not alright. I need help. I need forgiveness. I I, I need more than this world has to offer. I'm telling you, Jesus is the more that you're looking for. He is. He's faithful. He's been faithful to me, and I know that he'll be faithful to you. So if today is the day that you want to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your strength today, tomorrow, and forever. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Can you just raise your hand right now? It just becomes more real if you make that outward expression. Whether you're online or in person right now, I'd love it if you could do that. Ken, okay, if you just raised your hand, I'm going to pray out loud, and I ask that you would pray silently with me as we continue to pray. So, Jesus, thank you that you lived, and I thank you that you're with me today, that you're with me tomorrow, and that you're with me forever. So I pray that, you're, that you would forgive me, that you would take my sins and my shame and my baggage and just place them in a sea of forgetfulness and give me a fresh start, that I could run my race be the person that you created me to be. Live the life that you created me to live today, tomorrow, and forever. And God, for all of us, for all of us, we would realize as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and it's easy to be intimidated and think, well, that's Paul. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's an imperfect person, just like I am. So when we, when we read about the Apostle Paul, may we be inspired at what you can do through ordinary men and women who are willing to preach the word with the lives that we live and the words that we speak. We love you. We're thankful. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we celebrate that, guys? That's awesome. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm so, so grateful and excited. So please text the keyword life, L-I, I'm spelling it out, L-I-F-E to 604-670-3040. I just want to help you, provide resources for you, and just run this race with you. This whole race, it's like a relay race. It's not an individual sprint. And also, I want to invite you back next week. Next week's amazing. We've got two more weeks in this journey that we've taken through 2 Timothy, and now is not the time to slack off. Let's lean in and get excited. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.